Welcome back to GLF Live, the official podcast of the Global Landscapes Forum. Africa is going through a population explosion. Around 60% of the continent's population is under the age of 25, and by 2100, five of the world's 10 most populous countries will be in Africa. That huge demographic shift will pose a strain on the continent's natural resources, which are already being affected by climate change. But it also provides enormous opportunities for its young people to take charge of their own future. So in our final episode of 2022, we're joined by three young African environmentalists to learn how they're playing their part by restoring landscapes and building a more sustainable economy. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Bomboy Paula Waivoshi, and I would just like, on behalf of the Global Landscapes Forum and the Youth Landscapes Initi Initiative, I would like to welcome you all to this informative but short session. This is part of the GLF live series and the Youth in Landscapes Initiative has teamed up with the Global Landscape Forum to produce youth-led episodes that showcase the wonderful projects, dreams and initiatives that young people from all around the world are creating. Today, we'll be focusing on the stories of three youth Africa, young Africans who are contributing to the transformation of landscapes around them, both for future and current generations. So our three um, amazing speakers is Adrian Letoro, Patricia um, Mwamba Kombo, Congo, and Safiatu Nana. So I'm just going to add them. Um, hello. And yes, the audience can continue um, sharing where you're coming from and what you hope to gain from this live as well. Go live with Patty. Adrian, is there? Adrian, you can say hi to the audience as well. Hi, you, hi, you... hi everyone. My name is Adrian. I'm joining in from Kenya. I'm happy to be here. Nice to, to be with uh, fellow young people talking about restoration. And Patty, maybe you can say something. Uh, hello, my name is Patricia Kombo. I'm joining from Nairobi, Kenya. Pleasure to meet you all. Okay, great. I We are waiting for Safina, who is from Burkina Faso. Um, and as... Safina is joining. Maybe just to start, I can ask the two of you just a couple of, you know, starter questions. Um, so the first question is maybe um, just you can just do a quick introduction of yourself as well as share how you started the project that you started. So I'll start with you, Patricia. Okay. Uh, as I said, my name is Patricia Combo. I'm a United Nations Convention to Combat the Certification Land Era and also Youth of the Year in the Environment category. And I run a community-based organization by the name Patri that I founded in 2019. And my journey started when I was in primary. We had environmental clubs. And from environmental clubs, from engaging with the work, I was exposed and I connected with nature at a tender age. But up to 2019, I happened to volunteer with an organization to Lodua on a relief food mission. And from interacting with the kids and with the women in the society, it acted as an eye opener. And from there, I flashed back how my childhood was how environmental education at that moment really impacted me in knowing 
how to adapt and how to mitigate. And from there, out of passion, an idea was born of promoting environmental education in schools. And that's how we started Patri. And our main work is promoting environmental education in schools and also working with women to promote sustainable land use practice. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Patty. I hope you don't mind me calling you Patty or oh, Patricia. That's fine. <laughs> um, I'll go on to you, Adrian. Hi. Yeah. So as I said, my name is uh, Adrian Leitoro. I'm the co-founder of uh, Nature and People as One, or NAPO. I'm also the 2022 Dryland Restoration Steward for the GLF. And uh, how I started is uh, I, I, studied, uh, I studied business and uh, but my passion was, was for, for the environment. So after doing a bit of work, in, and of course, in, in business and in IT, I decided to leave employment and go do where my passion was, which is uh, environmental restoration and wildlife conservation. And so I went, and uh, the northern part of Kenya is, is somewhere which is really diverse and has a lot of biodiversity. And there needed to be somebody to start off that work to to restore the drylands, right? And, and it needed to come from the youth. And that's sort of where, where we started from. So how, so how we're doing the restoration work is we are currently operating a tree nursery, uh, which is the only sort of tree nursery in the northern part of uh, Kenya. So we are, the Kenya, Kenya has a 10% tree cover. And so we are, we are really contributing to that. And uh, we really want to also make it work for our communities. So, of course, later on, we'll speak more about uh, how we're working with the community, but uh, it has to be community-led ecosystem restoration. Thank you. Great. And as we were talking, uh, Safia to joined us. Maybe you can say a quick hello, Safia too. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? We're all good. Um, it's great for you to be here as well. So we're just doing a quick introduction. Yeah, I can share a quick intro into who you are and how you began the project that you started. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for the kind invitation. I'm very happy to be part of this important conversation. Uh, so I'm Safia Tunana. I, I'm joining from Burkina Faso um, in Wagadu. Uh, so how did I start uh, my project, uh, Solar Kudo? Um, first of all, uh, I am an engineer in renewable energy and climate change. Um, so Burkina Faso, um, we, are, we are having our economy is based on agriculture, which contributes to about 30% of the GDP, and it employs about 80% of the workforce. Um, and you know, agriculture is also a big source of pollution um, for the soils, for the water, and etc. Et um, so, um, I think Safia too might just have paused for a second. Um, I just talk about um, agriculture, but either way, um, we'll be asking all of you questions, and when she's unpaused, we can get back to her. Um, so I think now my first questions will then go to Patricia. Um, you're a passionate environmentalist and you have been working in environmental education for quite some time. Um, and as you mentioned, you lead the Patri Initiative. So what do you think is the role of environmental education in raising generations that care about the planet? And what is the uh, role of different actors, for example, schools, 
events and activist movements led by young people online, the most famous probably being Fridays for Future. Uh, thank you very much. And one thing that I always say is that a child or a society without environmental knowledge is like a bird without feathers. No matter what, they cannot fly to feed themselves. To me, environmental education is an enabler in attaining sustainable development goals and more so in leading in restoration and also in preserving of nature. And environmental education is very critical in ensuring that all policymakers, all people that depend on land and that depend on ecosystem have the knowledge of what they are doing. And they have a clear mindset of what practices are doing. And education really helps people to make informed decisions. And also it helps in changing the mindset of people and especially young people that they can Sorry, you paused for a second, oh. so maybe you can, um, you drop for a second, maybe you can repeat the last couple of sentences. Okay, I was saying uh, environmental education is very critical as we are transiting in 21st century skills. It equips learners with the skills to transpass and also to explore opportunities in the green economy sector, and also it connects them with what is right for the society. And again, environmental education really opens and gives communities and people what they should do because some of the practices that they are doing, they are actually arming the environment. And the teachers and community can play a role in ensuring that they pass the right skills and the right information to the young generations. And for communities, they can give the young ones a platform to practice what they want. And for the larger movement, the youth movement, what they can do is to practice what we are speaking, is to show communities how to do it because I believe communities are changed by action and not by opinion. We can talk, but we want to, we must really move to the ground and show people this is how we restore degraded ecosystem. These are the right trees. These are what we are supposed to do to make sure we have an ecosystem which is sustainable for us, sustainable for our livelihoods, and an ecosystem that will help young people drive into transit. She has paused. I think that was a great stopping point, Patty. I particularly liked the quote on uh, people without knowledge are like a bird without feathers. Um, so yeah, you really did talk about how environmental education and environmental knowledge is for everyone. So on that, how, what would be your advice on how we can make environmental education interesting and accessible to everyone? And if you have any examples from your organization, that would be great as well. Oh, yes. What we do, we apply a four-based theory whereby we are working on first-hand experience. This is theory-based. Then from theory-based, we take the kids and the learners to the outdoor. And this is for them to connect with nature and to explore different and unique aspects of bi biodiversity. From now taking them to the nature, we bring them now to start visualizing and putting into context what they have learned and also reflecting what they see in their communities. And at the end, we do the practical, whereby now they apply both the theory and the experience and what they see, we make them now apply real. And what we're doing for them to apply, first of all, is through tree growing, 
we also having projects like scouting for the for seeds we whereby we go to the forest we help them identify seeds we put them in nurseries and currently we've started kitchen gardens because we've noticed that a lot of communities um producing food unsustainably. So through the kitchen garden model, we are training them how they can duplicate what they learn in schools to their communities and to their women to ensure that they are fed with nutritious food and they maximize on the space that they have producing food and also taking care of the environment. Our key goal is to ensure that they go to nature because they learn by experiencing. They understand this is not just the tree that we see. They understand from the tree what we get, the benefit that we get, and they also get to understand that every aspect of biodiversity, every aspect they see in ecosystem has a meaningful, a meaningful impact in their lives. And again, through taking them to outdoor, we want to build their physical, physique, and also their mental wellness because through connecting with nature, they are able now to reflect, they are able to have the memory and we all understand the cognitive development of a child. What they see, it really gives them morale to practice. And by working them in the nature and training them, we've seen a lot of them transform their mindset because we are not only doing for the for the day, we want them to transform their mindset and explore various job opportunities for them in future. And finally, we are doing environmental competitions. We've had people do beauty contests. We are doing environmental competition, like uh, engaging them in community work, like cleaning, growing trees, and the best nursery the kids are awarded. And this really motivates them. And it engages both the teachers, the communities, because the environmental clubs are led by teachers. And when they go at home, the parents now help them to implement what they learned. Okay, that was really great to hear. And I think um, we, the audience, um, are quite lucky that the three of you are working in very different avenues. Um, so you've spoken about education, so now I'd like to move on to Safiatu, and you work in engineering. Um, and in 2018, you founded Solokadu, an organization that develops solar-powered ir irrigation for desert areas. So please share a bit more about how energy issues create both challenges and opportunities um, in, your, in your country, region, maybe even Africa in general. And you can touch on the impacts of your project as you answer that as well. Okay, thank you. Um, so Solar Code, what we are doing is uh, to provide solutions um, like green energy for the agriculture sector mainly uh, because, you know, um, right now in our country and I think in most part of Africa, farmers are using uh, fuel-based pumps uh, which are polluting and, and there is a lot uh, to, for the farmers to know about the climate change issues and how their activities um, are impacting uh, the environment and how they can cope also with climate change. And so basically our work is um, to really uh, sensitize these farmers and also um, help them with capacity building um, training sessions where uh, we teach them about uh, adaptation measures uh, to climate change and renewable energy uh, comes at like a solution for them to be able to um, continue their activity, increase their productivity uh, while uh, keeping uh, the environment um, safe. And so our work with the 
the solar powered um, uh, pumps is, is to help them uh, access more uh, water for irrigation uh, while reducing the use of well based pumps. Um, so I, I believe that um, there is a lot to do uh, regarding this sector because uh, what I've um, seen so far is most projects in our country, when it comes to renewable energy, people are focusing on provision of electricity for lighting and less attention is uh, put uh, in the area of you know, access to green power for agriculture. Meanwhile, um, it's, it's the backbone of our economy. Uh, so I, I believe that um, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity uh, for job creation in that sector. Um, and that's uh, exactly what we are trying to, to demonstrate. Yeah. That's great. I mean, from what you said, we can tell you're achieving quite a bit. Um, however, I'd just like to ask, what support would a small-scale project like yours need from policymakers to ensure that your project is sustained? And what can they do to inspire other young Africans to take action as well? Okay, thank you. That's a great question. I think we need um, a more enabling environment for projects, uh, for project that um, young people are trying to implement um, uh, to be able to really uh, take off and be a benefit to the maximum of people. So we need strong policies in place. We need incentives and, and drivers in terms of uh, financing schemes. Uh, you know, for us, our biggest issue has been uh, access to finance because, you know, you come... Um, as a young person with your your dreams and um, people will not uh, trust you until you have um, proved what you're capable of. And that also needs um, financing at the, at the beginning. So especially for engineering projects like ours. So um, I would say financing and also capacity building um, to train young people um, to see the opportunities that there are in, in this sector, um, as well as in agriculture and, and energy. And also, um, I would say um, a lot of showcase of uh, successful uh, stories from around uh, other countries in Africa that will inspire our young people to see that it's possible to actually combine renewable energy um, and agriculture and economy uh, development. So yeah, basically the three, finance, capacity building, more of um, showing us um, examples that works actually. And even the failures as well, uh, we can learn, learn from um, stories that are failed, um, so yeah. It's good to share. <laughs> I, I think it's also nice that you said showcasing is important because I think this is the whole point of this talk and the other points in the GLF series. And I'd ask the audience, what do they hope to gain? And for me personally, um, inspiration was one of them. Um, but in addition to all this work you just talked about, you are also part of the GLFX platform and the GLF platform uh, chapter, sorry. So for those who don't know, these are localized communities of practice that work on progressing sustainable landscapes and they are all over the world. You can check the GLF website for more. 
So can you briefly tell us about the future for your chapter that you coordinate? Okay, uh, so our chapter is uh, GLF Wagadu. Um, so in terms of plans that we have uh, in the near future, uh, we are planning to increase more on community actions that we are doing in terms of um, like tree planting activities and cleanup activities uh, that is, is to sensitize the community on these issues um, of protecting the environment. Uh, we are also uh, planning to have a national prize uh, for a landscape, young landscape heroes, uh, which we will name after Mr. Yakuba Sawadgo. I don't know, you might uh, know him. He's um, the alternative Nobel Prize uh, 2018 for, for fighting drought um, uh, in, in our country. So we are hoping to have him, um, to learn from him and to be able to show to young people that uh, this is um, not only uh, a issue that is you know, given to all people to take care of, but we are really, uh, we have to, to, to be part of the world uh, action. And also uh, we are planning as well to have action towards um, restoration of old mining sites. Burkina Faso is a mining country. Uh, so we have a lot of landscape issues uh, due to artisanal mining. Uh, so people will leave uh, the mines and and it's really affecting the whole um, ecosystem. And also, we have newsletters where we can do uh, a major campaign to share stories from um, other young people. For instance, um, like uh, our co-speakers here. Um, so you know, we are a French country, and a lot of stories are not um, being seen by the people here because of the language barrier. So the project here is to translate uh, stories into French and to share it uh, at, at the schools and at the university uh, level, yes. Great, so just to um, reiterate, um, anybody can go and check if there's a local chapter or you can start one if there isn't. Um, so just speaking about future plans, the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification is having an upcoming conference of the parties just next May. Um, so parties and CEO UNCCD Land Hero, maybe you can share with us some opportunities for young people to share, to participate in this conference. Um, thank you very much. And I will say United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification is an open platform whereby they are working on youth engagement, gender issues, land rights. And for young people, they can, they can showcase what they are doing uh, in their local areas by taking a photo, tagging UNCCD, telling the world what you're doing to save science and what you're doing to become the voice of the land. And there are so many opportunities for young people, especially for young people, especially on if you want to learn more about land-based jobs for people. So go to the website and follow what UNCCD will do. And for the convention, there are a lot of youth-led and youth innovation that will be discussed. They can learn more from how they can become real voices of the land. Great. 
So now speaking of voices and encouraging participation, and I'll move on to Adrian. Um, as I said, you're the founder of Nature and People as One, NAPO, which is a term used by the Rindile and Samburu people. Um, and you work with um, with these local indigenous communities to preserve their landscape using their knowledge, voices, and resources. I would, that I would thus like to ask you about the importance of community dry land restoration, and what do you think can be the impact of small-scale restoration projects like yours in contributing to climate adaptation, supporting biodiversity, and contributing to people's livelihoods? Thank you very much for that. I think really we speak about restoration, we have to take a more landscape approach and it's uh, it's good that we're at the global landscapes we're talking about the global landscapes forum so we have to take a landscape approach which at both nature looks at both people looks at the the wildlife that is there and so for us it's how do we make nature work for our communities right and and make our communities also work for nature once we find that balance then that's the most important thing to actually uh, uh, consider uh, how a small-scale restoration sort of program will be able to uh, add to this. You know, it starts it starts with me, right? It has to start from me and you so that it can then scale to other other areas. We have the opportunity other areas. So the action that we take in our landscapes, being the dryland ecosystems, being other ecosystems and as youth, then would actually, somebody would be looking and saying, this guy did that, why not do it the way uh, this guy has done it? Also, you know, innovation is, isn't about doing something new. It's about taking something that has worked in another area and making it work in the area, in the context that you're in. The more we come together as young people and do this small-scale restoration work, then we are inspiring a whole sort of generation of we're inspiring our fellow youth to actually take action and, and uh, on the uh, on the ground doing the work being implemented and also the restoration still uh, as well is is actually about that which is getting resources to those that are on the on the ground so I'd, for me that's that's the, that's really the aim what we're doing in addition to assisting our communities pro protecting biodiversity it's also how do we then inspire more people to take up this this work? And as you do this work, um, you combine different knowledge systems. So what in your experience is the best way to bring together science and traditional knowledge for ecosystem restoration? Thank you very much. I had uh, Patty talk about education and how important, which I completely agree with, but we have to look at it, we look at education from a, and also an answer to, for example, our communities have such rich knowledge in preserving ecosystems. Uh, uh, we need to recognize that this knowledge is very important in coming up with robust nature-based solutions. So what we're currently doing is among our communities, the Rindila and Samburu. So these trees are cultural. We need to find must document this knowledge to assure that this knowledge is not lost. And then we use this knowledge. If tree growing activities, then you know these trees are going to have a bit for the communities. And lastly, also is you have to understand that these communities have been living ecosystems for the longest time. So they understand this 
these areas, these landscapes. And the, the goal here is to own that knowledge. I think science has a huge role to play in ecosystem restoration, but also, but it will only be effective if we build upon that community knowledge that already exists. Thank you. Um, I think that's a very important point. Um, and then as a result of all the valiant efforts you've just been talking about, you're also the 2022 JLF Restoration Steward for Trilands. So maybe you can share with us your objectives as a restoration steward. Uh, thank, thank you very much. So when we started out the tree nursery, the goal was ultimately to get to to restoration, right? Get translates the tree in the landscape. So we quickly realized that then this through talks with the mentors I from the restoration stewards program. LF now is supporting me to do what we call assisted natural regeneration or call it FMNR. FMNR is assisting the nature to regenerate itself. And so going to do in a in a landscape called the Ndoto, which is which is rich in biodiversity. So the funds from the GLF would be able to help us get that work, help get our community involved in this ecosystem restoration to take care of these natural environments and to restore them, assist nature to regenerate because we need to play a hand in, in, in assisting the regeneration. In addition to that, the, the mentors also, we, as young people, we need all the help we can get from our older generation. So, so that link between the old generation and us being mentors, that's, that's quite important. Because sometimes us young people can be very energetic, but sometimes we need someone who's already been through that path to tell us this is the right way, this is not the right way. So that, that for me is, is what is really important about the, the restoration stewards and the work that we're doing with them. Well, I think so far it's been so great to hear from all three of you, um, but we're not done with you yet. Do you, I do have a few more quick questions for all of you. Um, so to begin, um, we all know that Africa is not a monolith and we do not share a single story. Yet in the media, um, it, we are often portrayed as such. So what is the one thing, one thing, <laughs> but mind you, um, you'd like to tell the rest of the world about young Africans and our landscapes? Oh, sorry, I need to pick someone to start. I'll start with Adrian. You just talk so you can continue. So most times Africa is seen as this place which has the most beautiful landscapes, the most beautiful wildlife. But I think one thing we have to recognize is the people that are taking care of these landscapes, the people that are taking care of these landscapes, which are the communities and by extension, actually now taking up that mantle to restore uh that's that are really very it's up to us to protect these ecosystems right these beautiful places that we always see in the news and they say africa is the most beautiful to protect that but also people outside have to recognize that there are communities that are protecting these places and uh work towards empowering these communities to continue with this work um i'll move on to you safia too um you can add same yeah your point to the same question Thank you. Yeah, um, I do agree with um, uh, Lake Oro. Yes, um, Africa, we are known as, uh, you know, the beautiful continent where you have um, um, the, the wildlife and all these beautiful landscapes. Um, so, for instance, for our country, um, the southern part, 
the southern part of the country has attracted a lot of uh, tourists um, because of these beautiful landscapes and watersheds. And uh, due to climate change and all the damages that are occurring over the years, um, the, now the number of tourists um, are reduced. And also the community, the population are also, you know, sometimes they are leaving uh, the places when uh, they have difficulties um, to, to continue using um, the, the, the soils for the agricultural activities and stuff. So um, I would say as young Africans, we have a lot to do um, in order to protect these uh, sites not only for touristic uh, purpose, but also and especially for agricultural purpose. Um, it's not always the solution to leave uh, the village when uh, we face droughts and, and difficulties uh, in terms of land use. The solution is not to leave, but rather to stay and, and fight the drought and all the, the challenges that we are facing. And no one will come to do that, do, do it for us. So we need to uh, re really take action and take it now to prevent um, crisis and also to adapt ourselves um, and basically keep our beautiful landscapes in the continent. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I really appreciate this platform um, that you are giving us to, to discuss this issue that is really, really uh, important. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, moving to you, Patricia. Um, question again is what one thing would you like to tell the rest of the world about Africans and our landscapes? Uh, what I'd like to say, when people hear about Africa, what comes in their mind is all issues related to loss and damage and climate crisis. But one thing that I can tell the world that Africa has really transformed, and I'll give a valid example with the Great Green Wall. And we've seen how nations, how policymakers, how young people have come together to have an African-led initiative to ensure we restore our degraded ecosystem, the Sahel. And it's not only about growing trees, but growing up, growing uh, resilience, growing food, food security, growing health. Being. What I can tell uh, young people across there, Africa should be our home, Africa should be our pride. And no matter the challenges that we face, we can stand bold and not only grow them trees of restoration, but to grow trees of hope, trees of food securities, because we live. Africa can feed itself and also Africa can feed the rest of the world. If only young people and policymakers come together to make policies and science into real meaningful action on the ground and restore our ecosystem, because our ecosystem and biodiversity is very rich only if we realize the importance and the connection between land, soil, nature, ecosystem, and biodiversity. Great. Um, and then speaking of Africans and our landscape management and how it may be seen by the outside world, um, this year there's going to be the COP27 or the UN Climate Summit, which will take place in Egypt, and many have already started calling it um, the Africa COP. So what are your wishes or expectations for COP27? Um, I'll start with you, Adrian. 
Uh, okay. okay, my up and uh, anyone go, okay, go ahead. first. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. okay, sorry. My up and uh, for the uh, climate for the COP27 is to see climate issues close to art of Africa to be advanced and such include climate finance, adaptation, loss and damage, and also ecosystem restoration. Um, Adrian, does your, do your wishes closely match those of Patty? They do, they do. I think one thing that the COP has to deliver this time is uh, the adaptation finance that has always been promised, right? That has to come. And uh, if, if there's one thing that the Af African COP can do, if it can unlock those finances to, to, to us, to the, to the communities in Africa, then I think we will have achieved at least one major goal for being an African COP. Um, anything to add on your end, Safia, too? I totally agree uh, with my two predecessors. Yes, uh, we really uh, need to see... Uh, you know, the promises come true, real actions taken to really enable uh, young Africans like us to access all of uh, the finance and the tools that we need to cope with the climate change and also to empower our communities to be able to uh, do more restoration actions and uh, really tackle uh, climate change issues effectively. Yeah. Okay, so we're nearing the end of this talk. So I'm just going to ask um, one last question. Um, um, sorry, I've lost it for a second. Yes, I'd just like to hear from each one of you one phrase or one thing that you'd say to young Africans that want to start restoring their own project or get involved in environmental management or ecosystem protection. Um, again, so I'll start with Patricia. Uh, what I can say is the world is transiting into green economy and green culture, and it will be unfortunate if young people fail to tap this opportunity. And what they can do, start small, that little action and that idea that you have, you can turn it from just being an idea and being a restoration and actually making it to become an employment and a job opportunity for you and for the rest of the generation. And nature environment is one of the greatest employer. If we take care of them, we will actually be well, well kept. Our well-being will be good and economic impact will be felt by everyone. Um, Safiatu, do you have anything that you'd like to say as well? Yes, um, I would say to young Africans that um, we, we are experiencing a lot of challenges, but uh, we have the power to change uh, things. We really have the power and really need to uh, take, I mean, to be conscious about it and actually take actions as little as it is, you can start at your community level, even at your household level, you can take an action and that will inspire more uh, other action. And uh, it's the small things that everyone is doing that uh, grows to, be, uh, to have a bigger impact. So yes, there are a lot of barriers uh, in terms of money or, or maybe access to tools, but 
um, start with what you have and uh, keep uh, learning um, as you're going. So uh, get some mentors uh, to help you um, and lead you as well. Um, never uh, stop to hope, never stop uh, uh, to really hope for a better uh, future for yourself and for your community. Um, for us, we are really open as a JLEC chapter and, and we really welcome anyone that uh, would like to be part of this uh, movement um, in Burkina Faso and as well, we are also planning to have um, some uh, conversations with other JLF uh, chapters um, in the neighboring countries. So this is a big, a good opportunity for you to start. Um, if you don't know where to start, if you find a JLF chapter, you can join and um, be following and you'll be able to uh, like a volunteering actions and that will give you uh, more uh, opportunity to see what you can do and how you can do it and to really be part of it. Uh, so don't sit back, join us and do something. <laughs> Thank you, I'll move on to you, Adrian. Yeah, for me, it's uh, one I already said, which is uh, the issue of innovation, which is innovation isn't just about doing something new. It's, I want to reiterate that it's something, doing something that has worked somewhere else. So youth, young Africans, look at what's working, try to implement that in your landscapes. And, and two is uh, just to echo what my, my fellow panelists have said, is, and it's inspired by Nike, do it, you know, just, and once you start, then, you know, you're already doing, once you start, then you can, can learn from whatever you're doing you can always plan and say i'm going to do this but once you get into the real restoration work and when you face the child that are going to face you and, and them so really my my, phrase, my phrase is just do it and, and we will see the the results and the wonders that it can happen for us thank you I think those are great last answers from all of you. Just you've shared such powerful words. And I just like to thank you all for sharing your thoughts and ideas with all of us. So yes, I just like to thank all of you. I think if you saw, I was writing notes. So I hope everyone was able to get something from this, including the speakers. That's it for the GLF Live podcast in 2022. But we'll be back with more content for you in the new year, starting in three weeks' time on the 10th of January. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating or write us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and reach out to us on social media with the hashtag GLFLive. And for everything you need to know about landscapes, ecosystems, and climate change, check out our website at globallandscapesforum.org. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in 2023.